Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a big word, but it simply means repetition of the law or a repeating of the law. It is a book comprised of a series of sermons Moses gave the people of God before they were to enter the promised land. They had spent 40 years wandering. It was a time of formation, identity, and unexpected lessons. These divine words come to us out of the wilderness. And I went to Biola and to, to study this, to major in it, as I figured if I'm going to spend a lot of money in college, I'm going to invest it in something that you know, I, I'm really interested in. And um, it just really rocked my world and changed the way I view the Bible. And I enrolled in this class uh, called New Testament's Use of the Old. And I thought it was fascinating because I never really thought about it this way, but the New Testament you know, uses the Old Testament all the time. It's quoting the Old Testament. And at the time the New Testament was written, obviously the New Testament wasn't written yet. So uh, the, their scripture was the Old Testament. So that's what the people were using as, as their scripture. And so I enrolled in this class. I sit down the first day of, uh, of the semester and the professor comes out and he starts talking about all these different things that uh, that, you know, Jesus is fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies, and Jesus is quoting Old Scripture, uh, Old Testament Scripture, and, and, and the New Testament's always pointing back to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's always pointing forward to the New Testament, the New Testament's always pointing forward to, you know, beyond. And I'm sitting there, and my mind is blown, and I'm going like, this is incredible. And then he hands out the syllabus, and I look at what's going to be required of me for reading and the papers I would have to write, and I dropped the class. <laughs> I was, okay, to be fair, I was taking on a full, like, 18-unit load, and I was working the graveyard shift. But anyways, it, it, that, just that one day in the class really, like, changed my perspective. But I tell you that just to say, keep that in mind as we talk about today. So we've been going through a series called Out of the Wilderness. And for the last five or six weeks, we've been um, focused on Old Testament passages in, in Deuteronomy, Exodus, where the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're wandering through. And, and we see in um, a bunch of these different stories, we've seen how God um, offers them grace and provision. And he gives them identity and he gives them in instructions. And, and all these uh, you know, stories where they're just grumbling or they're sinning or whatever it is, and yet God remains faithful to his people. And so um, we have been going through that and we're gonna stick in the wilderness series, but we're gonna fast forward to the New Testament. Today, And we're going to look at um, a story of Jesus and his time in the wilderness. So if you have your Bibles um, or an app, turn to Matthew chapter 4. And I'll give you a little background before we jump in to what is our scripture for today. But um, Matthew is kind of broken down into three big sections. So that, that starts off with the first four chapters uh, of really declaring, Matthew the author is declaring like who Jesus is. He's, he's, the, he's writing to the Jewish people of the first century and he's declaring that this is the Messiah, this is the king that we've all been waiting for, that we've all been reading about and that our ancestors have been writing about and talking about. Um, it then goes into um, chapters four, uh, four and a half, what are we, four, verse 12, through chapters 25, and it's all about Jesus's life and his ministry. And then the last few chapters talks about his death and resurrection. And I point that out because today's passage is, is going to fit in in that first section. 
Matthew's declaration of who Jesus is. And I think it's important to point that out because as we read this story, it's really talking about who Jesus is and his identity as the expected king, the coming king. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and read through Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Okay, that's interesting. He was led by the Spirit. It's almost like he had to go do this. It's almost as if he had to go do this, and I think we'll find out why. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, I have never fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but I have done whole 30. So I feel like I kind of can relate here. And, and if, if, if I know how Jesus is feeling, he's not just hungry, he's hangry, right? Like, you get that hungry, it makes you angry. That's how I would feel. And so the devil approaches him and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Did you catch how sly and crafty the temptation is there? The temptation is not necessarily Jesus eating bread. Like, he could break fast on his own. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. But the temptation is that first part, if you are the son of God, he's saying, like, prove it. Prove it. And I'm, I'm so thankful that was not me because if I was that hungry after 40 days, I would be like, not only is this going to be bread, it's going to be like Olive Garden breadsticks or some donuts or something. But anyways, the, the devil is so crafty here. If you are the son of God. And it's not so much that eating bread is wrong. Like sometimes a right thing can be done for the wrong reason. And so listen to what Jesus does here. Verse four, it says, Jesus answered, it is written. Okay, what does that mean? What is he doing it, when he says it is written? He's, he's quoting something. He's quoting the Old Testament scripture. He says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, um, some of you probably know this, but if you don't, I'm just gonna point it out so you know going forward. Um, in the Bible, you see all these little footnotes and stuff. Um, and this one in my Bible, it's like a footnote in. And what it does is it, is it has a reference. I have like a column with all these little numbers and stuff. And it's actually referencing what Jesus is quoting. It's doing the work for us, which is really nice. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses three, which is a, the story of when the, the Israelites are in the wilderness, a story that we have been studying these past several weeks. Jesus quotes the scripture and says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. Let's keep going. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now the devil is quoting scripture to try to stump Jesus. That's terrifying. The devil is taking, and we see that the reference here is he's taking Psalm uh, uh, Psalms, I think Psalm 91 is what it says. 93, 91, let's see. 91, thank you. And he, it says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus here. Again, if you are the son of God, prove it because look, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Old Testament scripture says about you. It's kind of terrifying. And Jesus answers him, It is also written, and so he's quoting 
Deuteronomy 6, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy again, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Kind of a bizarre story, right? I mean, first of all, Jesus is out there on his own in the desert by himself, not eating food. And the devil shows up to meet him and tempt him. And the only way we would know about this is because Jesus came back and told his friends and disciples about it, which is kind of a, an interesting point in itself. It's not the point of this passage, but like the temptation is not the sin. It's giving into the temptation that's the sin. And, and, and I think too, too much in our culture that we don't even talk about temptations. And Jesus was very open with his friends about it. Just a side note. But what's going on here, there's some really quick and easy applications if we just read it as a, on, a, on a surface level. Um, Jesus did not give in to temptations, and he fought it by quoting scripture. Um, Jesus talked about these temptations with his disciples and friends. Um, you know, it, it's a very practical how-to message if that's what, how we look at it. But what we have to do when we read the Bible is ask, like, who was this originally written for? And why did the author put it the way they did? In this case, Matthew is writing to the Jews in the first century. So how would they have heard this story? They would not have heard it as a how-to sermon about avoiding sin or fighting temptation. They would have heard this story and it would have became very personal for them. Let me, let me explain. Um, it, would be, it would become personal for two reasons. One, they would hear the story and they would go, oh my goodness, this man has been tempted with everything that we, we get tempted with. He was hungry. He was tempted with food. Um, he, you know, a, a chance to, to rule the world or, or whatever. Like these are all things that we as human beings uh, face as temptations that might look different, but you know, Jesus is facing the same things with us. So they go, okay, it's personal. This guy can relate to us. But the second thing that they would, they would, they would notice and realize is, oh my goodness, he's one of us. It, it's personal, not just because he's a human being, but he's an, he, he's from the line of David. He's an Israelite. He's Jewish. And this story of Jesus in the wilderness is the personification, personification of the nation of Israel. He is living out what we are supposed to be and what we couldn't do. I mean, catch the parallels between Jesus in the desert and the, and the Israelites in the Old Testament. He, first of all, Jesus keeps pointing back and quoting the Exodus where God provides, God gives identity, he gives instructions. But Matthew is showing that Jesus is the personification of Israel. Temptation one, turn the stone into bread. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. And in this passage, if you will recall, when we, when we read it and talked about it, God weakened the Israelite people with hunger to show them that man should not live on bread alone. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Israel failed this 
as they got hungry and they, they weakened, they started to grumble and complain. Jesus doesn't do that. He acknowledges that God is the provider. Temptation two, throw yourself down and the angels will save you. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. And in, in this, the Israelites, um, they're in the desert and there's a lack of water and they're thirsty. And so they start to question whether God is actually among them and cares about them. And so their failure during this test is they actually start testing, putting, putting God to the test. They start questioning him. They say, what kind of God is it? God, he's not even among us. He doesn't care about us. And, and Jesus doesn't fail in this. And that's why um, he says you should not put, you don't, you don't put God to the test. You can trust him. The third temptation, bow, and Satan says, bow and worship me. And, and you know, I'll give you all this. I'll give you all the kingdoms. I'll give you everything. And, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13, worship God and serve him only. And in that time in the wilderness, the Israelites were actually committing idolatry. They started worshiping all sorts of weird things. And where they fell, Jesus succeeds. See, he was faced with the same tests and the same temptations as the Israelites. Only instead of a, a story uh, that, that's a tragedy of failure, Jesus triumphs and he is victorious. Matthew is showing us and the Jews of that time that Jesus is the personification of Israel. They're saying he's one of us. He is that atoning king that we've been expecting. He's that coming Messiah that we've been waiting for. Now, let's take it a step further. So again, the, Old, the New Testament points backwards, right? The Old Testament points forward, and they're, they're working together here. So Jesus in the wilderness, it's like he's kind of becoming and, and doing what the Israelites couldn't do. But let's take it a step further. Let's go back before the wilderness even existed to a time where it was paradise, all the way back to the creation story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It starts off with God creating the heavens and the earth, and God creates all of creation. And I'm just summarizing here. You know, he creates the, the, the sun and the moon and the stars. He creates land and he creates vegetation. And he creates the animals and the water and, and all that. And then he creates man. And it says that after God made all that, he saw that it was very good. Okay, this is a time of paradise. It's, not, it's the complete opposite of wilderness, right? Lush vegetation, um, just beautiful scenery and everything you could ever need. No sin in the world yet. Chapter two, oh, I gotta flip there first. Um, Genesis chapter two, verses 15 through 17. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Interesting that working the garden um, was not, uh, that was before the fall. That was all good and pleasant. And the Lord commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the, no uh, the, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam is in the garden. It's paradise. He can eat anything he wants except for that one tree. After that, God says it's not good for him to be alone. He gives him Eve. Um, and then chapter three, and this is where the story starts to turn. Verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat 
from any tree in the garden. See, there he is again, twisting words, taking what might have been said and, and trying to um, stump them. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Okay, do you see the parallels in these stories? You see that? So they were tempted with a fruit, a food, which was, it says that it was, it was good and pleasing to the eye, just like Jesus was tempted with, with turning a stone into bread, which would have been good and pleasing to his eye in a, in a time when he's incredibly hungry. You will be like God and, and you'll be gaining wisdom. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus in the desert, the temptation is, is you are in control of everything like God and you're gaining all this stuff. Are you seeing those parallels? The temptations that Jesus had in the desert are the exact same that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, self-will, control. The tempter brought nothing new, no original content when he met Jesus in the desert. It was the same exact stuff. Only this time, instead of giving in to those temptations, Jesus didn't bite. Jesus is undoing what Adam and Eve did. He is doing what they could not do one story is a story of tragedy. The other is a story of triumph. One story is a story of ruin, and the other is of redemption. One story suggests that, that evil wins, and the other story declares and announces that evil has been destroyed forever. And that is incredibly good news, because Jesus is taking back ground that Adam and Eve gave up, ground that you and I could never take back on our own. Jesus is, is reclaiming his territory, and that's great news for us. So here is the other twist, the New Testament story of Jesus in the wilderness, which points backwards to the Israelites in the wilderness, and it points backwards to Adam and Eve in the garden. The same story points forward to what's about to come and what's about to happen. It points forward to a time where Jesus defeats Satan. He defeats sin by taking sin to the grave and conquering it and resurrecting back to life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, um, he who knew no sin, which, by the way, it's an incredible line. He who knew no sin 
became sin for us. So Jesus, catch that word in there. Jesus didn't just like snap his fingers and make evil go away and disappear. It says he became sin. Like a sponge that absorbs every bit of filth and dirt and evil, every bit of sin in me, in you, in everybody, like a sponge, he takes that upon himself. He knew no sin, he became sin, and he took it to the grave and beat, beat, set, uh, beat sin, beat Satan by conquering it and coming back to life. And he does that so that we can become become the righteousness of God. He became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. We all go through our own quote unquote wildernesses, wilderness, wilderness, the plural of wilderness. We all have our own wilderness that we go through and it might look different for each of us. And I don't know what it looks like in your life. And if you're not in one now, there'll be a time where you are because that's just how it goes. And, and, and in your wilderness, what I hope is that your story and your relationship with God doesn't just become about trying to resist the temptations. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all about resisting temptation. And, and the reason for that is because we can trust God that his way is better. But if it just becomes so legalistic, about not sinning, you're missing the point. Don't miss the resurrection in the story. Don't water it down to just what we do and don't do because something much bigger is going on and we are free because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And with that comes new life. And with, with that comes righteousness, resurrection, New life over and over again. So whatever your wilderness is, let me just tell you, there's hope. There's hope. Because we, because we look at Jesus who has been in the wilderness himself. And we look at Jesus who overcame evil and sin. And because of that, we know that there's hope for each of us. So whatever it is you're going through, know that there's hope and know that you can hold on to that new life that Jesus has, the righteousness we get to become, the righteousness that Jesus offers. We're gonna close with communion, which is a perfect response to this, this message of salvation, to this message of new life. And Jesus says, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And the bread and the cup, they represent the broken body of Jesus on the cross. And they represent the blood poured out for each of us. And that's something that he offers to all of us. So it does not matter what your wilderness looks like. It doesn't even matter if you had given in to temptations. It doesn't matter if you beat yourself up over and over because you are just stuck in this spot that you just hate and despise and you grumble. I've been there. I've been mad at God. I felt alone. But there's hope. 
and, our, and that hope comes in Christ. And so as we respond, Tim, go ahead and come back up here. As we respond with communion, let that be your prayer. Let that be your conversation with God. Let that be something, a sacred moment for you uh, of new life in the wilderness. God's grace, his provision, God giving identity. Let that become real to you today. Let's pray. God, we praise you and we thank you so much that you sent Jesus who just like us is fully human but to do what none of us were capable of doing to look sin in the face and say no. And not only that, to, to then willingly take it on and take it to the grave. God, I pray for uh, all of our friends in here and you know, uh, you know what, what's on each person's heart and you know each of our lives personally. And so God, I, I ask that whatever the wilderness is that we're facing, you'll show your grace and provision and we can hold on to the hope that you have given to us new life, righteousness, and resurrection. We love you and we praise you.